Here at the Holy Hive Show, we consider ourselves to be a jolly, wholesome group of people, but we feel the need to remind you, the listener, that our show does contain uh, strong language. We tend to discuss adult themes, and every now and then we'll take part in the occasional satanic ritual. So, you know, please use discretion. Thank you. Dan, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. I uh, ran into a, a uh, internet article this week. It says the career website Zipia performed some research to find out what each state's favorite Thanksgiving dish is, and Utah true to boring form has landed on rolls. Do you agree with that? It depends on, I mean, like a roll by itself is uh, like almost useless to me, but I will say yeah. that rolls are an instrumental part of Thanksgiving leftovers. Yes, they're right? good it's for Thanksgiving, yeah. but leftovers is where the roll really shines. Yeah, that's that's when the roll reaches its next level. But at the dinner table on on the night of Thanksgiving, it's more of a tool, you know. It's more of I a agree. vessel for all all the other kinds of food. So, what are your t- what, what are the like? It doesn't have to be in any order or anything. What are the best three Thanksgiving dishes? Um, I would say a turkey leg, mashed mm-hmm. potatoes. Um, and apple crisp, not apple pie, but apple crisp would be like my a crisp. favorite three. Yeah, almost like a like a like a cobbler type thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm a pumpkin pie fan, so I'll go with the pumpkin pie. Mashed potatoes and gravy is like the number one comfort food of all time, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I love it. Um, even mashed potatoes without gravy, I'm cool. Any kind of mashed potatoes. Um, and then I'm a, I'm a stuffing fan. That's a that's a controversial take. If people are either in or out on stuffing, but I'm a stuffing guy. Um, I don't like soggy bread on principle, and that's kind of what most <laughs> stuffing is, is soggy bread. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, and I noticed that just looking at that map of the United States, that on the kind of like central eastern side of the United States down into the south, that mac and cheese is a gigantic side for Thanksgiving. Why don't we have that here? Like, I've never had mac and cheese during Thanksgiving. I've had mac and cheese during Thanksgiving. Yeah, I never have. I don't that's know. I, maybe thing. it's just the – maybe. Maybe it's just my family. I need to. I'm, I'm going to introduce that because I think that's a, a great Thanksgiving dish. Yeah, I will say really quick. Thing. I call bullshit on most of these surveys. Always, like I know. It's yeah, always me too. the most random things. <laughs> like they never release like their how how they came up with this. I've never heard of Zipia before. No, it's probably like a, a a sample size of like okay, everyone in the company. Do you know someone from that state? Just call them up and ask them. So and then you call your you know your cousin Tom who lives in friggin' Lehigh, and he's like, I love rolls. Exactly. Now Tom's re- representing the entire state of Utah. Um, all right, well, today we have a, a good news-filled episode, and we'll cap it off with our imaginary Thanksgiving guest list, where we're going to attempt to draft the coolest and most interesting Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dinner table made up of historical and influential Utahns. It's all coming up on the Holy Hive Show. Please stick around. Hey, guys, just wanted to butt in for just a second and remind you to follow us on our social media accounts. Uh, Right now, we're in the process of building our full website, which will house all of our podcast, video, and blog content. Um, But until then, all of our content feeds will be published through Instagram and Twitter. So you can find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Holy Hive Utah. Thanks for listening. So Dan, uh, the uh, mandate, well, the initial mandate that the governor put out came to an end 
Monday, and uh, since then our, our, our noble governor has spoken to us once again. We have a very social holiday looming on the horizon, so take us to the COVID corner and give us an update on what we're looking at in Utah this week. All right. I mean, the COVID corner is, like you said, it's it's changed in terms of regulation. It hasn't really changed in terms of the, the numbers too much. Um, the mm-hmm. thing, like you mentioned, that's getting the most play is the kind of social gathering size within homes. That has been loosened and almost entirely. It seems as if they yeah. they realized, and I do a, I do a, have to admit it was a tough position to try to police what people do within their own homes with other people. For sure. It's almost impossible to enforce. It's got some real questionable privacy concerns. So, and like, whatever. People mm-hmm. can make their own choices, and I think that that's, that's true. Um, yeah. But I don't really sympathize with him in terms of, like, people being mad, because I think there are people who are mad that he's not kind of coming out a little harder on on Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. But there would be more people who were mad if he didn't. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't sympathize with him necessarily just because he waited until everything was really dire to make any decisions. Um, yeah. But I do think that it's, you know, it's a bit difficult. What do you think about that? Uh, it, I don't know. It was, it was really interesting because... I, I kind of just caught the recap. I didn't watch it live like I did with the last announcement, which this one was more of a press conference than like yeah. an address, you know? Um, I did appreciate some of the uh, uh, journalists who uh, asked questions during that press conference because it seems like the journalists, like a lot of the citizens, aren't really letting up on the criticism of how they're handling this. And I think it was uh, someone from the Salt Lake Trib asked, you know, what point do more restrictions come like you tell us the number of what you know are we going to hit seven thousand before you actually drop some uh you know some more restrictions or do you have a game plan for if this continues to rise and he's like well it it basically sums it up to like you know it's it's still something we're still learning about and we're not sure how to handle it and we're just trying to make sure that we take the little the smallest impact on our hospitals and our you know it was just like a bunch of, of of you know, hand waving. Yeah. Essentially. And, um, I, I, I honestly don't know how he's operating off camera, like what his day to day is like in trying to solve this. I don't know if he's talking to people. It seems like, I mean, Angela Dunn gave, um, some comments during that press conference. So I'd have to imagine he's in, in touch with her quite often. Um, but yeah, I just, I like, I don't know at this point, I think a lot of people are kind of relaxing into the, uh, vaccine savior attitude, you know? And he did in this press conference kind of give some, in my opinion, problematic messaging in relation to the vaccine. Um, he said, you know, there's mm-hmm. light at the end of the tunnel. You're going to be getting, yeah. the public is going to be getting a vaccine sometime March or April. And that is yeah. not what I have heard. I mean, literally his own health experts one week prior said that the public probably won't get it until July. So, I mean, like, yeah. that is a long time away still. We can't act as if, like, this is done just because a vaccine has been announced. The CDC is projecting that Utah has 450 more deaths before January. So, I mean, mm-hmm. right now we're at around 700, 800. If we had 450 yeah. more on top of that, that's a significant amount. Um, yeah. in, terms yeah. of, in terms of numbers, the past couple of days have actually been somewhat hopeful Um, Mm -hmm. I've made kind of a fool of myself a time or two making declarations about things on this show in terms of COVID. So I'm not going to do anything like that, but 
just given this Tuesday, the 24th, we were about 470 cases less than the previous Tuesday, and that's with 4,000 more tests taken. So Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, in terms of caseload, I do think we are seeing some improvements or at least some plateauing, but that does not Mm -hmm. mean anything is, you know, on the up and up. We're not gonna yeah. We're not gonna make that sort of declaration until after we see what damage Thanksgiving can do. And I'm not telling anyone not yeah. to see their family on Thanksgiving because it's a case yeah. by case thing. You know, it really is mm-hmm. like if you feel safe, if you feel comfortable, you should go. You should do what you want to do, but just be safe. You know. Yeah, and and I think part of that too is just communicating with the people that you're celebrating with. Yeah, because really. If we talked about this in the most productive way possible, it would be just communicate, just say where you've been, talk about, have a plan. But it's like, again, it's one of those things. And I've, I've, I've thought about this a lot where it's like this, this whole, um, pandemic has been, and, and I don't, I don't know if it would be different in a, like, if it wasn't an election year, I don't like, it's, it's just been a, like a whole storm of crazy things, but, um, your actions are tied to your political stance on the issue, which is so weird because like I I was actually talking about this with my girlfriend where we were like Thanksgiving, if it was, if if you just had the normal political conversations over dinner, that's one thing because then you can, you know, someone talks about one issue and you talk about another issue and you exchange thoughts and maybe have an argument or two and then someone throws something and a couple people cry and you move on. But like with the pandemic, it's not just a conversation, like your actions reflect how you feel about the actual issue. So it's like this other level of complexity to Thanksgiving, (laughs) you know, it's so, it's so weird. It really is. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's at this point, like it's, I'm not judging anyone for like how they, you know, decide to celebrate. We, we, I've, I've already communicated everything with my family and we've already got a battle plan. Just stay safe and don't be afraid to talk to each other. And if someone wants to be careful, don't shame them for that. And if someone wants to take the risk, then that's their right to. And, you know, totally take it case agree. by case. Be nice to each other and just try to enjoy yourself. Uh, in the meantime, though, yeah, don't rely on the on the vaccine to come save us because we still need to, we still have a lot of work to do. All right, let's move on to some, some good news. Today, this week was a really good news-filled week. It was. I mean, I'm sure if it we looked hard enough, nice. we could find some shitty news, but it was – no. Yeah. <laughs> our rundown is some good news. I think that's – every time I go to do the, the show prep, I'm like, okay, we're going to go through the news, and I'm like, okay, stabbing, shooting. Um, there was another protest where something got broken, and there's – you know, and I'm trying to, you know, sift through all that stuff. I'm like, let's talk about something interesting. We're already going to talk about COVID, so let's find nice things to talk about. This week, it was actually kind of easy to find those things, so that was really cool. Um so we're going to start off first with, I mean, this isn't good news, but it's cool news, I guess. Potentially um, good news, depending on your belief systems. Yeah, and we're going to discuss that. So 2020, continuing a streak of being just like the weirdest fucking year in history, um, even in local news, this week during a sheep counting exercise, the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources spotted a strange object while flying in a helicopter above Utah's remote southeastern deserts. The team landed to investigate and found a strange metal monolith buried deep into the ground of the desert floor. Crew members have said that there are no signs of what the structure is or how someone could have stuck it in the ground. The object is about 10 to 12 feet tall. Uh, It's kind of a triangular pillar of shiny metal. um, And the point of the structure points towards a nearby slot canyon. So that's kind of really the only thing that they have right now. 
Um, a helicopter pilot, Brett Hutchins, uh, told KSL that he thinks it's just a piece of new wave art or something. That's literally the quote. That's ah, just a piece of new wave art or something. Those Enya uh, fans but, are at it again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but most people can't help but draw parallels to the giant monolith from the beginning of Stanley Kubrick's film, 2001, A Space Odyssey. That was kind of the the overworked reaction to that story was everyone was talking about 2001. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, just another weird, like earlier this year, the U S government basically declassified a bunch of documents on UFOs. And now we have this happening. So as far as like aliens and weird things like that, it's been a pretty good year. Um, but now we have to get, we have to, we have to drop some conspiracy theories on, on what we think the monolith is. Go ahead. I'll, I'll start with you. What's your conspiracy theory? Well, I mean, first of all, a triangle has three points. So anyone saying that it points to anything, it points to three things. That's a very strange thing to be like, yeah. it points to the slot cane. It's like, I don't, I mean, and I guess. The, and all the pictures that I saw weren't great. Like, I couldn't tell if one side was like more elongated or not. It Actually, I until I read through the article, I just thought it was a square. Oh, just yeah, because yeah. all the pictures are from like one one flat side of it, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I agree. I was like, which which side? What, yeah. what, how how can you tell that? Yeah. In terms of in terms of uh, actual conspiracy theorizing, um, when I saw it, it looked like it was almost like the the placement looked so purposeful to me. Like it's almost in like a cul de sac of rocks. Like yeah. when you're playing a video game and you are walking down a hall and then you end up in a circular room and it's like, oh shit, this is a boss battle. There's nowhere else to mm-hmm. go. Like that's what it looked like <laughs> to me. And so like, it looked like almost an auditorium type place. And my first thought was like, like oh, an amphitheater. Exactly. Like it was almost like a, it was placed there by like a cult, right? And uh-huh. maybe they do some form of like circular dance ritual around it. Like they do with the maypole yeah. in Midsommar. Um, yeah. And, and I could really see that as a, as a possibility there. I mean, it, it's vague. It's, uh, it's very random and I don't know. It just like mm-hmm. looks perfectly symmetrical. I don't know. It has this really yeah. haunting look to it. It's either that. Yeah. Or it looks like cool. A wealthy developer, like claiming his land for the next luxury condos, you know, uh-huh. those are the only Like a marker of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, like honestly, like if we're gonna drop the conspiracy for a second, just talk about it as a as an aesthetic, like the the shiny metal against just all the red rock actually looks really dope. Yeah. And if someone did intend for it to be an art piece, like hey, kudos, that's pretty dope. It's just a tame and Paula. It it's a tame Paula album cover. Is what it dude? Is. It literally does look like a tame Paula album cover. That's a great take. Um, yeah. So it's human made because there's like rivets in it. It doesn't, it's not like they were like, oh, this is something that we've never seen before. It's just kind of baffling. Um, and so, yeah, it's in that area where there's like slot canyons nearby, weird like hiking areas. They didn't announce where the exact location of it because they didn't want people going out there because it's pretty remote. Um, uh, I think like Utah desert rats tend to be pretty weird and eccentric people, you know, people that just like, live out of their vans and go hiking and spend all their time in uh, slot canyons and stuff like that. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if like a group of climbers or hikers or something like that just built that as like, a, a, you know, they built it to memorialize the place that they meet up every year and do mushrooms in the desert. You know, they build just, a bonfire or something around it and just go trip. Um, together. It's kind of, yeah, kind of similar to your theory. I love it. 
I mean, it's just yeah, a so, very strange. I will say that like it's human made because there's rivets in it is like exactly what an alien would want you to think. So that's a good point too. Yeah, that's that that's a good point. And you know what, a, a rivet is a pretty basic, you know, piece of hardware. Uh, why why can't aliens have rivets? True. You know, they might have like advanced technology, but the tried and true rivet just stands the test of time. <laughs> um. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm sure if it was just a bunch of like you know desert rats that built it and party and do mushrooms around it every year, they're probably watching the news, laughing their asses off right now. Um, or pissed that either their way, spot I, got I, found. The what? Or they're pissed that their spot got found. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get <laughs> their spots gotten blown up. Um, but either way, you know, I would hope that this this monolith has the same effect that it does in 2001: A Space Odyssey, which. Basically, if, if you if, when was the last time you watched that movie? Uh, probably a year or two ago. Okay, so not too long. No. Yeah, so essentially the whole point of the monolith, it's like this an alien structure that um, lands in this desert and all these monkeys come up and start dancing around it and it starts to create this kind of aggressive nature in them. And that aggressive nature leads to wars between the monkeys, which leads them to think differently and essentially leads to the development of technology. So it's almost like we went from primates to humans because of alien technology. And uh, we could use a little evolution right now. We could. I don't know if we need like a war, but... No, we definitely don't need another war. A little evolution, though. Okay, so uh, a nice fuzzy warm story here in in, in Salt Lake City. A... uh, one of our favorite Utah institutions um, and favorite group of people, honestly, um, Fisher Brewing. They're stepping up to bring aid to another one of our favorite institutions, Ken Sanders Rare Books. Fisher has announced this past week that they intend to release a limited edition run of beers with the intent of donating a portion of the proceeds to help the local bookstore. Uh, the cans will be themed after Edward Abbey's book, The Monkey Wrench Gang, and will display illustrations um, drawn by American cartoonist R. Crumb who drew the illustrations for the 10th anniversary of the book in 1985. And they're going to release these beers over the course of six weeks, each beer displaying a different illustration and containing a different brew. Cans are limited six per customer and are definitely going to sell out. Um, And if you're interested in picking those up, head to fisherbeer.com and they got full details over there. Um, This is amazing. Like when I saw them post this on Instagram and like kind of announce it, I was like, this is it. This is this is the answer to all of our, our problems here in, yeah. in like Utah's local economy is just like people stepping up for each other. And not only that, but the design approach to this, I don't know who at Fisher came up with this concept, but they deserve some kind of recognition um, because it's like a great example of, first of all, they wanted to connect books with beer, obviously, because it's that collaboration. They could have just made, you know, a beer design that made it look like a leather bound book or something, you know? But instead, they found um, a book that w- has ties to both Utah and to Ken Sanders' book, so like that establishment. And they created a concept out of that. And it's it's just like a, a great way or a, a, one of, like a great example of um, playing off of Utah's like culture and, and, and creating something out of Utah's culture. Um, and it taps into kind of like the outdoor and preservation subcultures of Utah, which Fisher seems to cater to pretty well. 
Um, I don't know. What did you think about this when you saw it, Dan? Yeah, I was super excited as well. I actually didn't see it. Uh, someone, I don't remember who, what happened, but someone like informed me about it, and I was really confused as to what they were saying at first. Uh, and then when I finally saw the story, yeah, I was way excited about it. Um, two of, like you said, two of our favorite places. Uh, I think I love to go to Ken Sanders and just like look through. They have these <clears> antique. <throat> I don't know if antiques the word, but like antique uh, postcards. You know, like yeah. I think I've gotten you some like old mm-hmm. like 1960s Disneyland cards or something. Um, yeah. Just stuff like that that is just like kind of really cool and timeless and, and special. And I feel like that's what it's like to just walk through there on mm-hmm. any day, you know. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I was I was really excited. And I agree with what you're saying about the design as someone who cares deeply about the design mm-hmm. of things and, and all of that. Yeah. Like it's definitely not lazy. Um, and, yeah. and I think that like Fisher in general just has like a really strong branding and mm-hmm. brand affinity for sure. Like people just love to engage with their brand. So yeah, I'll buy, I'll try to buy them. Hopefully they don't sell out too quick, but you know, also hopefully mm-hmm. they do. So, I mean, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's kind of, it's and, kind of a win-win either way. Yeah. And I think, I think there is a thing where, I mean, I mean we kind of do it here at Holy Hive where the community is part of the brand and a lot of people do that in concept, but don't do that in action. And this is, you know, Fisher stepping up for the community and stepping up for a, a local institution. Um, and a time, and in, in, in a time where Ken Sanders books is not only struggling with the pandemic, but they're actually struggling with the decline of printing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as we enter the technology age and there still is, I think a market for books um, and for paper paper books and well, and books. even even beyond struggling with the pandemic like they've been people i mean wealthy real estate developers have been trying to shove them out for years it seems like you yeah. know to build some more uh apartments that just kind <laughs> of look like apartment buildings so yeah like we don't need ken sanders to turn into like downtown zupas yeah um so um, it's really cool to see a, one business show up for another. It's it's really awesome. Um, and cheers to everyone at Fisher and, and Ken Sanders. I'm going to buy every can. I'm going to try to be there. And uh, you can get a six-pack of each. I think I'm going to drink five and save one because that, that feels like a good, like, nice piece of not like Americana, but Utah. Utanacana. Utanacana. <laughs> yeah, it's like a good piece of Utanacana. Um so yeah, and, and I'm sure those are going to be sold out. So get on yeah. top of it if you want to collect those. So this next story is kind of the flip side. Instead of a business helping a business, it's like one person in the community driving the community to help the community. So another example of, of the community stepping up, but this is just driven by one single person. So what started out as a routine change dump turned into a dump trunk full of change for Utah citizens. That's a good lead, it. right? That is a great lead. <laughs> uh, Andy Larson, sports beat writer for uh, Salt Lake Tribune, started a Twitter campaign this week where he asked for donations from his followers to aid people affected by poverty and the pandemic during the holidays. He said it started when he exchanged a jar full of loose change at a, at a bank and ended up with just over $165. He decided to donate the money and, money and encouraged Utahns to undergo the same process and before too long, his tweet went viral, and Andy was able to collect over thirty-six thousand dollars as of last night. I haven't checked on that. Has it still been going since last night? Um, 
Well, a few things. I know you're probably just reading from an article, but I don't think he ever once asked anyone for anything. I think that people... Oh, really? Just, no, he just said, where should I put this money? And people were like, oh, I'll match it. And I oh, know interesting. as of as of like when I looked like five hours ago, it was upwards of $50,000. So it's oh, just been damn. going up and up. Yeah, I started prepping prepping this last night. And I, I guess maybe, I, I don't even think I got that from the article. I think I was just under the assumption that you know, he said, "Hey, if you want to chip in," but this, it wasn't even. No, like, yeah, he didn't this, even is, this is community helping community. You know, this isn't even like it's people just stepping yeah. up. He's I just the it. vehicle. Yeah, and um, th- this is like I mean, we've seen examples of this. I think in the show prep, you mentioned Shay Serrano, who is a writer for The Ringer, and he's an author, and he does this thing where he's just like, "Here's my Venmo. I'm, I, this is where it's going." Just mm-hmm. throw whatever you want into it, and then people will. It's you know a few hours go by, and he has five grand to give to you know a family struggling to pay rent or something like that. Um, and you know I've I've said it before. If we just like have the patience to organize and communicate productively, we can accomplish like anything in our state. Especially, and I think that that's an important distinction. If we just kind of focus on our local community, if we kind of think smaller. Um, the irony about, you know, our leaders is that they, they, they pit us against each other in order to, and and I'm not trying to take this into a political thing, but like they pit us against each other. And when their ultimate end goal is to, you know, theoretically find solutions for our communities. Um, and I think if we just can kind of like be creative enough and it really just takes one person's creativity, um, and we're vocal and understanding and patient, all of our local leaders will kind of be screwed because we're just kind of solving problems on our own, which is great. And I, you know, I think it's cool to kind of imagine a Utah where like no one has to worry about a government bailout or welfare or pandemics crippling our local market, because when things get tough, we can just communicate and then people lend their hands and then stuff like this happens. And we're seeing an example of it play out right now. Yeah. And it got pretty big. I mean, like I know like the governor elect, uh, Spencer Cox was, was retweeting it. I know I saw like just randomly like worlds colliding in a way like Philip, Phil Lord from, uh, the director of the Lego movie. Oh, he just like randomly yeah. tweeted like, Hey, I saw this and just sent you some money. And I was like, Oh, that's incredibly that's cool. amazing. Like, I don't know. I yeah. would imagine that I know that Phil Lord's a pretty big basketball fan, so I probably just came about because he follows him for basketball reasons. But yeah, he probably does. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. just just an incredible display. I was I was really uh, really kind of amazed by it. Yeah, gives you the gives you the warm and fuzzy. So big shout out to Andy Larson over at the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, if any bar or swig location charges Andy for a drink in the next year, Holy Hive will personally lead a boycott against that business that's right he doesn't he doesn't pay for drinks for the next year all right so thanksgiving's coming up and uh you know it's going to be weird we're going to have a uh a a, i mean most people i'm assuming are going to have a a shrunken thanksgiving dinner table because we're supposed to be um distancing and and not hanging out with people outside of our household so we thought this would be a good opportunity to make our own Thanksgiving guest list. That's right. And we want to fill that guest list with interesting or influential Utahns from history, um, past or present. Um, so the way that this is going to break down is we've got 12 seats at our Thanksgiving table. Two of them are going to be occupied by Dan and I. We're the hosts of this party. We're going to be and at we're the heads fill it with, of the table. The heads. Yeah, that's an important distinction. We've got to be at the heads of the table. Those are the positions of power. That's right. Um, 
So we're going to each draft five more people on our Thanksgiving dinner table guest list. And these are just people that we think would be interesting to have dinner with, have a conversation with, might make for a good party. Um, you know, they might be pretty cool if you get a couple drinks into them. We just think that this would make for a, a great, a great dinner table. So uh, let's take turns going back. This isn't like a top five thing or anything. We're just kind of going back and forth talking about people that we think are interesting. Um, and they don't necessarily have to be famous, but they have to have some kind of significance to Utah. So um, I don't know. Do you want me to start? Do you want to start? You go ahead and start. All right, I'll start. So the first person that I want to invite to Thanksgiving dinner is a, is a, is a man named Philo T. Farnsworth. Are you oh, familiar yeah. with Philo T. Farn- Farnsworth before, uh, before today? Yes, yes. I think there's a statue of him at the, at the Utah State Capitol. Uh, but if you're not familiar with Philo T. Philo T. Farnsworth, he is uh, an inventor who was math- massively influential, uh, born in Beaver, and he uh, died in Provo. Uh, he invented the image dissector, which broadcasts images using a series of alternating lines. Um, he conceptualized the image dissector at 15 and uh, had a working demonstration by 21. And that invention was what spurned the creation of the modern day television. Um, so Philo T. Farnsworth, Farnsworth, the uh, inventor of the TV. Uh, he never became rich because uh, he had legal battles with RCA. Uh, but he, during that time, he also invented a, a milk sterilization te- technique using radio waves and also a fog penetrating beam for ships. So he's just like the the ultimate inventor. Like when you think about inventors in like books and stuff, he was literally that dude hunched over in his workshop every single day just inventing stuff. Um, and yeah, invent inventor of maybe the most like influential device yeah. in the 20th century. Like honestly. And um and I think he uh, he was one of uh times 100 most important or influential people of the 20, 20th century. Um, so yeah, Utah resident invented the TV, just a little accomplishment. Um, I think I would want him at the dinner table to talk about his intent with the invention. Like what was your intention going into this? What did you want, uh, for, for uh, for the public with this type of thing? And then maybe talk about the current state of TV. If he was able to see that and say, you know, is this something you would be proud of at this point? You know? Yeah. Um, I would imagine it would be pretty jarring to see where it's at th- at this point. And I do think that Thanksgiving is a particularly good holiday for TV in terms of like, I don't mm-hmm. know about your traditions, but people watch football and yeah. there is very there are very few better displays of what a high definition TV can do than live sports mm-hmm. because of all the chaos yeah. going around. Yeah. Um, and so I just think that that is, yeah, I think that's a great opportunity. Plus he just has such a wonderful name, like... I would yeah. love to just like ask, hey, Philo, how how are you? You know, how's how are things? Yeah, dude. So if you were writing a a book or a, if you were writing a movie about an inventor, and you're like, we have this eccentric inventor, inventor, and his name is Philo T. Farnsworth. I feel like you get notes back, and you're like, that name is a little too on the nose for like yeah. a passionate inventor. You have to tone <laughs> it down a little bit. It really is. Absolutely. Um, all right, who's going to be your, your first person on the guest list? My first person is going to be old uh, Robert Redford, Bobby Reds, Ooh. you know. Um, Bobby Reds. I feel like I don't have to dive too deep into his uh, accomplishments in terms of yeah. of Utah. You know, obviously, the, the the I don't know, is he the founder of the Sundance Film Festival? If not, mm-hmm. hugely influential in terms of bringing independent cinema to, to Utah, and that is hugely influential on both you and I. 
uh, as people mm-hmm. who are both passionate about movies and film festival movies, you know, just in terms Absolutely. of... Absolutely. It's just a very specific energy at a, at a film mm-hmm. festival screening that is unlike most things. Um, mm-hmm. He would also just be a really fun conversation, you know, a conversation yeah. guy, whether that's during dinner or after dinner. I could really see uh, Bobby Redford, like, holding court in the living room in front of a fireplace, just, like, sipping on a scotch, talking about old Hollywood, you know? So yeah, I would just a lot of love, stories. I bet. Yeah, and I've heard, yeah. I, I have heard that he's kind of a prick, which you don't necessarily <laughs> want. But at the same time, Thanksgiving a prick is needed every once in a while. If someone's popping yeah. off about politic this or whatever. It's just like, all right, Bobby's going to tell you to shut up. Yeah, he's telling stories. He'll bring it down. Yeah, he'll lev- he'll he'll level it off. Exactly. Keep it, keep it calm. I like that. That's a great pick. All right, my uh, second uh, guest is Ken Jennings. Love it. Are you familiar with Ken Jennings? Yeah. You're a Jeopardy fan, aren't you? I'm a big Jeopardy fan, yeah. Um, So Ken Jennings, if you don't know, uh, pulled in over $4.5 million on all of his Jeopardy runs. He's he's done a normal run of Jeopardy, then he was a part of their, like, tournaments uh, series. Um, He currently holds the record for the longest run on Jeopardy, the most money won on a game show ever, and the record for the highest average correct answers in a game of Jeopardy, uh, which still has yet to be beaten. Uh, he went to BYU and lived in Holiday during his Jeopardy run. Um, he's also a humor writer and pop culture historian. Um, and, you know, I mean, just the guy who can answer any Jeopardy question, like, need I say more as far as a dinner conversation? Exactly. He's, he's going to be great for kind of just in terms of the two of us being kind of big fans of trivial information. That's great. Yes. <laughs> also, uh, he was just announced, I think it was either today or yesterday, announced as the uh, interim host after the passing of Alex Trebek. So, Oh, really? Yeah, so he's... That's perfect. We'll have the, the host of Jeopardy at our Thanksgiving. That's that's a pretty oh, cool thing. Man. I hope I hope he corrects people a lot on oh, that absolutely. show. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Because I would say that would probably be the only thing uh, that would maybe be the downside of having Ken Jennings at your dinner table, which is like... Some people are trying to have an interesting conversation off to the side, and they mention one thing that's maybe a little bit off fact, and then he'll he'll be the guy that goes, "Well, actually, yeah," he'll and be he'll a he'll huge do that well a lot. He'll, guy. yeah, he's gonna well actually a lot of people at the table, but I, I bet it would be an interesting conversation nonetheless. Um, all right, who's your number two? My number two will come as no surprise to anybody who's had even in ten seconds <laughs> worth of conversation with me, and that is uh, Roy Highzone, Jim McMahon. Uh, yes. the, the winner of the 1985 Super Bowl with the my beloved Chicago Bears. Um, you know, what else can I say? I came to Utah. I don't even know if it still exists, but when we moved to Utah, we went to this like Roy Museum, which was right by the Hill Aerospace Museum. Yeah. And that was where like my parents realized that Jim McMahon was from Roy and it was like, oh, well, we're going to live here. You know, like just very yeah. big fans of Jim McMahon in our house, the punky QB the beer drinking Mormon, yeah. you know, he's just a, yeah. I would just love to talk about Walter Payton. I would love to talk about Mike Ditka. I would love to talk about yeah. his relationship with medical marijuana because yeah. I know that he was a huge part of the lawsuit against the NFL for like hiding concussion issues. And like he mm-hmm. has, he's pretty, he's had a battle with CTE himself. And so I would just think that all of that would be a very, uh, interesting conversation to have and yeah it would, i would probably end up ignoring a lot of our other guests which would make me feel bad 
but yeah. <laughs> I'm going to talk to Jim McMahon, so that's fine. Yeah, you probably have – you already have the laundry list of questions that's ready right. to go. That's right. Yeah, and when we, when we decided that we were going to do this, Jim McMahon was the only person that I was 100% sure was going to be on your list. Um, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, you got, you got, the, you got the football stuff, legendary – Chicago Bears lineup, so you got to talk about all that, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, the advocacy stuff. He's been an ad- advocate for a lot of things, yeah. and then just a, gr- a good hang. Like he's a, he's like just a, he's just like a dude. He does you know? seem like a good hang. He, he got in trouble he constantly for stupid things, and like that's what I love about people is when someone's like, you can't wear a headband, yeah. and he's like, okay, I'm just gonna wear the headband and write your name on it. Yeah, that's fun. He's 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 gonna be the guy in the at the dinner table that pulls a prank on someone. You know. Yes. Yes. He's going to, he's going to get, he's going to hang the turkey neck out of his zipper or something. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. My number three. Okay. Uh, So my number three is uh, Kip Thorne. So Kip Thorne is a theoretical physicist. He was born and raised in Logan, Utah, became one of the youngest full professors at Caltech at the age of 30, where he taught theoretical physics. In 2017, he won the Nobel Peace Prize in physics. He was a colleague and friend to Carl Sagan and Stephen Hawking. And uh, acted as a consultant to Christopher Nolan on his 2014 film Interstellar. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, Kip Thorne. Uh, I honestly, I, I've liked Kip Thorne for a while. I've li- I mean, I, I started to kind of get into, like, like, physics and stuff like that long after I was out of school when it didn't matter anymore if I was in physics. Um, and uh, I, I, I started to hear about him around the time that Interstellar came out. And not, a, not until we started doing research for this did I know that he was from Utah. And it was like kind of a revelation. Yeah. It's really amazing. Um, so, yeah, of course, uh, the, the, t- the connection to Interstellar, I think, is really awesome, you know, being a film fan. And uh, I did know that um, – so, like, the, in, the intent there was that Christopher Nolan wanted his depiction of space to be as – uh, scientifically accurate as possible. And they were also dealing with a lot of theoretical things like how a black hole looks and how mm-hmm. it works. And so Kip Thorne was kind of instrumental in, f- in, in uh, consulting on those types of things to the point where he helped special effects artists recode how th- they render lighting because the way it was coded would not be accurate to the way it would look in space. And so they really got like, Nitty gritty with the details on that yeah, movie. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, I wish that Christopher yeah. Nolan brought that same level of detail to his sound mixing, but that's a conversation yeah, for right. a different podcast. <laughs> that's a that's a whole other podcast. So yeah, Kip Thorne. I'd be really interested to know what led him into his interest in physics, and maybe how like his upbringing in Logan maybe influenced that too. Because um, this is a this is a, a situation where he was born in Logan and basically went was there all the way through high school. Um, and I know he was Mormon. Um, growing up, but he since has kind of just said he's kind of atheist or whatever, mm. doesn't really concern himself with it. Um, so I, yeah, I would just like love to hear his personal opinion about his like upbringing and stuff like that. And also, uh, I think, I think, uh, scientists tend to give you facts on things like Neil deGrasse Tyson will drop a f- cool fact about something, but you never get to talk to a scientist and be like, what do you think is going on? Like, you don't have to give me facts. Just what do you think is going on? Yeah. And so I would have a lot of questions like that. You know, what do you think is really out there? Um, so that's stuff that I'm really interested in. Kip Thorne, probably going to be a really good dinner conversation. I'm sensing a trend here where you have really fucking smart people on your side of the table. And I've got like an actor, a, 
a quarterback with brain problems, <laughs> and now my third, United States Senator Mike Lee, uh, <laughs> which is a bit of a curveball. Well, it's a bit of a curveball, I know, but uh, Kip Thorne just barely edged out Donnie Osmond. So there you go. Okay, you know, okay, I'm just kidding. okay. So yeah, you're number three, Mike Lee. <laughs> Mike Lee. I mean, I'm ready for this. There's no way around it. Mike Lee fucking sucks. Like. Yeah. That is my opinion. That is your opinion. So that is the show's opinion. Um, yeah. It seems like his senatorial mission is to embarrass Utah as much as humanly possible. And it mm-hmm. seems like he's pretty good at that. Like his success rate in terms of embarrassing Utahns is pretty yes. high, I think. Um, but the reason that I wanted him to be at Thanksgiving is because my family and I are all pretty politically aligned um, mm-hmm. we have never experienced what has either become a meme or just become apparent because of the internet that everyone hates Thanksgiving because of their crazy uncle or because of their, their weird grandpa or something. Like, I just have never had to deal with any like, oh shit, I got to deal with my <laughs> MAGA dad, you know, or something like that. Like, yeah. I've just never yeah. had to deal with that. And it just sounds like a nice change of pace for me. He would also ah. just be totally out of his element among these people, I think. Um, yeah, oh, and man. getting Kip Kip Thorne and 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 Mike Lee into a room would be fascinating. Exactly. Maybe I just want a little, you know, a side of chaos with my turkey, just a little bit. I like it. Yeah. You want to experience the crazy uncle Thanksgiving, and Mike Lee is the perfect crazy uncle. He really is. I don't. I can hear him talk about how Facebook is censoring him, so he's moving to Parlor. I can hear mm-hmm. him talk about how maybe like the turkey was a bit too politically correct for his his liking. You know, yeah. just all of these interesting topics that Mike Lee loves to talk about. I just feel like we really needed mm-hmm. to to provide that sort of energy to this to this dinner. Absolutely, I think that's a great that's a great pick <laughs> and a great uh, strategy to Thanksgiving. Thank you. You you, you need at least one of those people. Um, also, I mean, just looking at your list, and we'll get to it here in a sec. But your Mike Lee sitting next to your next pick would also be very interesting. That is the reason I picked my next pick. So there's that's called a tease, everybody. You just, you okay, just stick cool. around. Um, okay, so my next, uh, my, my next guest, um, again, continuing a, a mishmash of just smart people in my personal interests, um, my next pick is Edwin Catmull, who is a Pixar co-founder. So Ed Catmull a computer scientist who grew up in Salt Lake, graduated from the University of Utah with a bachelor in computer science. Heavily inspired by Disney films, he turned his interest to animation, which soon turned into an obsession with rendering realistic images using computers. In 1972, he went on to direct and produce one of the first fully digitally animated short films called A Computer Animated Hand, which was a short film about a computer animated hand. Very creative on computer science is not so creative on the titles of yeah. his of his films. <laughs> you don't get that sort of directness um, from 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 Hollywood normally. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's refreshing. Um, that short film is now preserved uh, by the Library of Congress in their National Film Registry. Uh, he later worked for a Lucasfilm and became the VP of Industrial Lights and Magic. Later, Lucas Lucasfilm's digital divisions were purchased by Steve Jobs, which led to Catmull becoming a founding member member of Pixar and his render man technology paved the way for Pixar's approach to digital animation. And that led to him being an executive producer on toy story. And he has since been a senior leader at Pixar before announcing his retirement in late 2018. I think, uh, I mean, this kind of just blends like a few, 
things. I just like, like talking to really smart people. Um, but then just the animation side of it, like this dude has had such a history through the, not only like digital animation, but it's like he worked at ILM, yeah, which is insane. And Lucasfilm, he worked for George Lucas, maybe like second to George Lucas at Lucasfilm. Um, and then he gets bought out by Steve Jobs. So just like Steve Jobs stories and George Lucas stories yeah. out of the gate, I, I think would be really interesting. And then there's this aspect of Pixar that I'm really fascinated with, and that's kind of their approach to collaboration and he didn't, I don't think he was necessarily a writer or a storyteller. He was more like, I'll take your story and bring it to life with computers. And um, so I think that's what led to him being a senior create or senior leader at Pixar. Um, so just from that, that standpoint of being a leader of a creative team, I'd be really interested to like hear about, you know, how he drove collaboration because Pixar like tends to be the ultimate example of collaboration, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. Ed, Ed Catmull. I think that would be a great, a great hang. Yeah, I think so too. And I just think like it would give me an opportunity to ask like why so many sequels in the later years, you know, like why, yeah. why did Pixar stop with the original content and let Disney animation surpass them? Was that a Disney decision? Is that a Pixar yeah. decision? Um, yeah. But I think that he would be a very fascinating guest indeed. Yeah. So my relationship, just as a sidebar to what you said, my relationship with Pixar's uh, sequels is that I roll my eyes every time they announce a new Toy Story and then I see it and I'm like, damn it, it's so good. <laughs> Toy know? Story 4 was very, very good. You're right. Yeah, You're right. it was incredible. Um, all right, so your number four. Yeah, my number four, like like we said, was chosen to specifically play foil to, to Mike Lee and that is uh, Delta Utah's own Chrissy Teigen. Um, <laughs> and uh, the fact that like a supermodel was born in Delta, Utah. Like, I don't want to badmouth Delta, Utah, but that's just very strange to me. And it it will always be very strange to me. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I really just want her to get under Mike Lee's skin because either A, Mike Lee buys into some QA non stuff and he thinks that she is like a part of a satanic cabal that drinks children's blood. Oh, yeah. Or B, he just thinks that she's like a Hollywood elitist scum and... They would argue incessantly. Um, Mm -hmm. Either way, I think that that is a plus for us in terms of like entertainment value, in terms of like just getting the most bang for our buck from our dinner guests. I like, I like a little, I like a little chaos, you Mm -hmm. know? And also I can't, there's personal gain in this for both of us. She has a humongous social media following and she is very, very like involved with it. She's going to be sharing Mm -hmm. pictures, videos, stories from our thanksgiving dinner and that's going to provide us with a little bit of spotlight and fame so holy hive can like it be elevated you and i can be elevated (laughs) you know the cream right get that chrissy teigen bump that's right not only that but she's also an accomplished chef like she has a cookbook she cooks and uh and and publishes what she's working on on her social media and stuff like that. So she could probably help us out with the meal as well. And a lot of, and, a lot of Thai influence in her, in her cooking, mm-hmm. which I love Thai food. So yeah, I'm always down yeah. for that. Um, also, if, I think if, go ahead. If John Legend comes along with her, that's just, you know, that's just a plus. So yeah, that's just bonus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bonus John Legend. Uh, yeah. And I think also, uh, when she's arguing with Mike Lee, the fact that she actually made the meal would give her a little bit of leverage, you know? Oh, certainly. She's like, you're eating my food, bitch. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I love it. 
All right. So my final pick for uh, my my guest list uh, is Martha Hughes Cannon, the first female uh, state senator in the United States. So uh, they just memorialized her this year. Mm-hmm. With a statue, right? I believe they got a statue. statue. Or, yeah. Yeah. At the Capitol. Um, so Martha Hughes Cannon, Cannon was a physician and Utah state senator. She pioneered uh, as a child to Salt Lake with her family, eventually attended the Uni- University of Utah, then the University of Deseret, uh, where she earned a degree in chemistry in 1878. She would go on to study around the United States, earning four degrees by the age of 25. She returned to Utah and became a resident at the LDS Hospital, then the Deseret Hospital. Um, she eventually married into a polygamous LDS family, becoming one of six plural wives to Angus Cannon, um, a hospital superintendent. Hughes would go on to advocate for women's suffrage and become the first ever female U.S. state senator after beating her own husband in the election. That's such a baller move. That's baller as fuck, dude. That is like that's uh, that's like that's that's energy that is beyond her time. Especially, like, what is this yeah. woman doing in? In the 1870s, they obviously needed her, but it's like, we need some of that energy here, you know? And there's so many other aspects to her story. I did while I was doing this research, obviously there's so much in her life that I can't, that we can't get into right now. We can honestly make a whole podcast episode about Martha Hughes Cannon. Um, she was exiled for some time and uh, she even still advocated for polygamy saying that like it granted her more freedom than the average housewife. Um, and, I would just love to talk to her about all those details of her story and again, get her feedback on where women's rights stand today. You know, guessing I'm guessing that because of the time that she was raised in, she would be a little conservative, you yeah. know, just, just naturally from the times. I think that's, that's the case. If you, you know, talk to, if you were able to talk to anyone from history. Um, so I think that kind of, that part of the conversation would be, would be really interesting, but just a really intelligent woman and that, that, that energy, that, comes out of her story she's just like she was a boss yeah most certainly i yeah and just defeating your own (laughs) your own husband in an election is just incredible to become the first female like not forget the like the that that that's the biggest accomplishment she became the first female state senator but she beat her husband in the election it's just like it's almost something you can't write yeah it's incredible absolutely anyway martha use cannon um all right, so who's your number five? I'm really proud of my number five, honestly. I thought of it like kind of last minute. My number five uh-huh. is a young lady named Florence Louise Grange. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how present Flo is in the mind of Utahns at large, but in anyone who grew up <laughs> in Ogden, Flo is known as the ghost that haunts the Ogden Cemetery. Uh-huh. Um Flo lived from 1903 to 1918, so she had a very short lifespan. So the fact that, like, mm-hmm. in 2007, I'm in a cemetery with my friends. I'm sure you and I have been there together. Um, yes. <laughs> trying to summon a ghost that of a 15-year-old girl that died 100 mm-hmm. years ago is pretty amazing. Um, yeah. The legend goes that, like, she was waiting outside for her boyfriend to pick her up for a dance, and she was hit by a car and that is how she died. Um, so in order to summon her ghost, you, you approach her grave with your car because it's right by a roadway mm-hmm. and you flash your lights three times and then she will appear. Um, I've been there, like I said, I've been there multiple times and I've never personally experienced 
the the rising of flow. Maybe I saw yeah. some some cars lights through through a bush <clears throat> or something. Um, but the main reasons that I want Flo to be at the Thanksgiving dinner are a I personally don't believe in ghosts, and I would really love for her to tell me one way or another, yes or no, ghosts do or don't exist. Um, uh-huh. B I know you mentioned pranks earlier with Jim McMahon. I would love for Flo to play pranks on Mike Lee because I feel like he scares pretty easily. So like having a dead a dead woman there might might really get under his skin a bit. <coughs> Bless you. And, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I've been holding in that sneeze for so long, and I was like trying to let you finish your point and find a break where I could sneeze and my eyes were watering. Okay, You're fine. And then Sorry, continue. And C because. Flo actually wasn't killed by a car while waiting for her boyfriend. Um, Flo died during the last pandemic that affected Utah, which was the Spanish flu back in the ni- early 1900s. So I think it would be quite poetic to bring Flo back to uh, life during this uh, this re's this most recent bout with a pandemic, and uh, maybe she could dole out some advice for us. That's that's fascinating. I actually didn't know that about. I grew up, I mean, obviously I came from Ogden, so sorry, my eyes are watering so bad. You're fine. <laughs> I had this tickle in my nose, that whole story, <laughs> and I've been like trying to fight it this whole time. Um, no, yeah, yeah. So like I grew up, uh, you know, with you in Ogden and yeah, we've gone and done the flow thing and um, I feel like there's always a legend like that in every town. Like there's always something like that. Um, I didn't know that though about the, uh, like the, the pandemic, the yeah. Spanish flu. Yeah, That's I didn't know that until crazy. I started doing research either. Uh, yeah, and uh, friend of the show Tony, he, pr- friend of the show Tony Paselli was on uh, uh, the news talking about it around Halloween, and I f- forgot to watch the uh, interview. But that—that's where I found out that she actually died during the pandemic. Was was in that interview? So shout out yeah. to them. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think Flo would have to say about our current situation with the COVID nineteen pandemic? You know, I think she would probably be confused by the politi- like the politicizing of everything because politics were probably very different for a high high schooler in nineteen fifteen. Um, but I don't know. That's a good question. She probably would be a bit annoyed by it all. She'd be like, "Look, I'm dead." Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be like, "Yeah, I'm the case study for maybe why you should wear a mask." Yeah. We didn't have so many cool masks back in my day. Um. Anyway, I think this this makes for a very very extremely interesting dinner. It does. Should we recap yeah. really quick? Yeah. So, uh, uh, my my five guests are Philo T. Farnsworth, inventor of the TV, Ken Jennings, Jeopardy champ and uh, humor writer, Kip Thorne, theoretical physicist, uh, Ed Catmull, uh, Pixar co-founder, and uh, Martha Hughes Cannon, first female state senator. Did you have any honorable mentions? I wanted to ask. Um, did I have any on? No. Oh no, I didn't. No, I, I whittled it down and kind gotcha. of threw out any other ideas and stuff like that. I uh, gotcha. If I, off, you know, off the top of my head, uh, you know, let's go back to Donny Osmond, man. I got a lot of questions for that guy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised you don't have anything for uh, like Wilford Brimley. You know, we had a nice little segment about Wilford earlier. Yeah, and I think honestly it was because we had done a uh, Wilford Brimley yeah. episode already that I was like, we already kind of dove into to him a lot but you know uh, i would love to have him at the dinner table we might have to uh, get some sugar-free jello because of his diabetes but uh 
but yeah, I would absolutely accept Wilford Brimley at my table. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, so my side, a recap of yours. Yeah, my side was Robert Redford, uh, Jim McMahon, United States Senator Mike Lee, Chrissy Teigen, and uh, Florence Louise Grange. And I did have a couple of honorable mentions. I was before I put Chrissy Teigen in there to uh, to really get under Mike Lee's skin. I actually had Jim Nance in her spot, who was a, a sports commentator over at KSL for a while back in the day. Um, yeah. I would have liked to have stolen him away from his Thanksgiving duties of calling the Texans Lions game so that he could come yeah. do a play by play of our dinner. I just thought that would be a really fun <laughs> in, interaction with him. Um, I, I like that. I did also have Philo Farnsworth and uh, Ken Jennings on my uh, honorable mentions, along with nice. Jewel, uh, singer songwriter Jewel. Oh, that's right. And uh, Porter Rockwell, uh, yeah. the, uh, the bodyguard for Brigham Young and Joseph Smith. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think out of all the kind of like uh, pioneer age Mormon figures, Porter Rockwell would probably be the, the most interesting to talk to. I agree. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, I think we might have to revisit this next year. We might have some updates to our list, um, but uh, I, I like where we ended up. I think it's going to be really interesting. We got a ghost. We have <laughs> um, <laughs> a U.S. senator, the first female state senator, uh, actors, supermodels. It's going to be an interesting Thanksgiving. It is. All right. That's going to do it for the, uh, Holy Hive show today. We hope all of you have a great week and a wonderful Thanksgiving. We're going to be back next week, uh, with a breakdown kind of gearing up for the holiday shopping season, you know, in an attempt to try to keep things local, we're going to break down, uh, all of our favorite local brands, um, from Utah. So maybe, uh, you guys could use that as a shopping guide or uh, a way to find places to spend money and keep it in Utah among local businesses. So stay tuned for that next week, and uh, everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving. See you, everybody. Be safe.